Well, it's wonderful to see so many of you here this morning, even though it's warm outside and you might be tempted to go to the beach instead of coming here. But thank you so much for coming this morning and to Mark for his introduction. You know, quite frankly, I'm amazed every time people choose to sit and remain after having been told that I'm going to speak. So thank you so much. <laughs> If you're new or, or visiting, we, just a warm welcome to you. If you don't know me, my name is Boaz. I'd like to share about myself in a bit, but let me start with a story. It's a story that Michael P. Green writes in one of his books. It reads, tough days, we all have them. Some are worse than others. Like the one the tradie reported on his accident form when he tried to be helpful. The tradie records, when I got to the building, I found that the hurricane had knocked off some bricks around the top. So I rigged up a beam with a pulley at the top of the building and hoisted up a couple barrels full of bricks. When I had fixed the damaged area, there were a lot of bricks left over. Then I went down to the bottom and began releasing the line. Unfortunately, the barrel of bricks was much heavier than I was, and before I knew what was happening, the barrel started coming down, jerking me up. I decided to hang on since I was too far off the ground by then to jump. And halfway up, I met the barrel of bricks coming down fast. I received a hard blow on my shoulder and then continued up to the top, banging my head against the, the beam and getting my fingers pinched and jammed in the pulley. When the barrel hit the ground hard, it burst its bottom, spilling all the bricks out onto the ground. I was now heavier than the barrel, so started down again at high speed. And halfway down, I met the barrel coming up fast and received severe injuries to my shins. When I hit the ground, I landed on the pile of spilt bricks, getting several painful cuts and deep bruises. At this point, I must have lost my presence of mind because I let go of the line. And the barrel came down fast, giving me another blow on my head and putting me in the hospital. I respectfully request sick leave. <laughs> There's nothing quite like stories that teach you a thing or two, especially when it happens to someone else. <laughs> when Matt asked me to preach some time ago, he told me that the series for this month of January would be on transformation, sharing a personal story or testimony about something that God did in your life where he changed you in some way. So if you will allow me, I would love to share something very briefly about an, an event that happened to me a number of years ago. And then after that, what I would like to do is to look into someone in the Bible who went through something similar and hopefully be able to draw some lessons and principles for us all. Well, as many of you know, I was born in Singapore to Christian parents. In fact, you you couldn't be born into a more Christian family than when your dad is a pastor who later becomes a missionary in Myanmar. 
But while dad was a pastor, it was really mom who deeply influenced the way that I would live life later on. She always told us kids that, you know, when she went through school and college, she always studied hard. She always worked hard. And as a result, she got good grades and good results, which unfortunately wasn't a principle that I embraced, not throughout high school at least. Well, after year 12, because I was still a Singaporean citizen, I had to go back to Singapore to complete two years of mandatory national service. And so when I went back, I was ready to be enlisted into the army, but it, was, it came to my surprise that instead of going to the army, I would be enlisted into the police force. Like, I didn't know you could be enlisted into the police force. But I said, okay, God, I'm here now. Two years, here we go. Just use me, God. You know, whatever, wherever you want me to be, just use me. And boy, did he use me. He used me in, in, in ways that just blew, blew my mind. He allowed me to touch lives. And he opened doors that only he could open. He granted me favor with people. It was, it was amazing. The part that really blew me away was when he allowed me to receive numerous awards during my time there. It was incredible. And after my training as an officer cadet, I returned back to the police academy as a commander, which meant that I had over 400 trainees under my command, as well as uh, a number of people under me as well, a number of staff members, many of whom were 20 to 30 years older than I was. And it was during that season that I learned a lot about leadership, so really invaluable for me. Well, when I look back, I see, you know, God's hand, it was so evident, so evident in my life. Well, after returning back to Australia, it wasn't long until I was involved in the church that my dad pastored. And I eventually led both the, the youth ministry and the, the worship team ministries, which were a huge honor for me to lead. But you have to remember that when I was growing up, I was always taught that if you're going to achieve anything in life, if you're going to get good results, you have to work hard. You got to put in the effort, which is a great principle and something that maybe we should all embrace. But the problem is, is when you start relying on your own strength, when you start relying on your own wisdom, your own ability. And when I reflect, I realized that the control I had, the pride that I accumulated in everything that I had accomplished, everything that I had done up until that point, they didn't invade my heart overnight. No, it was a slow, gradual erosion that gathered up momentum and eventually squeezed God out of my life. After all, I was a young man. I was accomplished. I could do anything that I set my mind to. Why would I need God? Soon my life was my own. It was my purposes, my ministries, my will be done. Well, fortunately, 
God wasn't going to let me run around for too long. He was hot on my tail. He knew that as a young man who had just finished year 12, gone back to Singapore for two years and just returned back to Australia, he knew that if there was one area in my life that was going to get my attention, it was me getting my driver's license. Now, even though I was a young man, you have to understand that I knew I could drive. It was one of my strengths. I could drive a manual car, no problem. I never stole it. I, I knew all the road rules. I could do a three-point turn with my eyes closed. It was, what, what is that to me? And so, a driving test. Like, seriously? What is that but another challenge for me to overcome? Well, you'll never guess what happened when I went for my driving test. I failed. <laughs> failed? What? I, I, I don't fail. Let me let you guys in on a little deep, dark secret about me. And can we just keep it between us? Like between you, me, and the hundreds of people in this room. Let's, let's just keep it within these four walls. What I'm about to tell you, please don't tell anyone else. I didn't fail just the one time. I didn't fail two times. I failed five times. <laughs> For whatever reason, I was doing things I don't normally do. Like, I never stole the car, I never speed, and I definitely don't drive on the wrong side of the road. But it was incredible, like, what was I doing? Things I don't normally do, I was doing on the test. <laughs> it was so bad that I vividly remember that after the third time when I failed, I was angry with God. I was, I, I was fuming, I said, how dare you, God? After all that I've done for you, after all the years that I served you and sacrificed for you, and this is the thing I get? I remember after I failed for the fourth time, I attempted to bargain with God. And how many of you know that usually never ends well? I said, God, God, listen, look, look. If you let me pass the next time, I promise, no, 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 wait, wait. I, I guarantee you that I, I, I will wash mom and dad's car every week. I guarantee you, God. Yeah, strangely, somehow, that didn't work. But after the fifth time, I failed. I remember sitting in the quietness of my room, with tears running down my cheeks, broken and alone. I don't know how long I sat there for, but what I do remember is that in the quietness of that room, something gave way within me. With a throbbing ache, in my chest, and with tears pouring down my face, I uttered the words, okay, God, 
okay, God, you win. I let go. I release my pride. I, I release my control over my life. Have your way. I let go. It was Alan Redpath who once said that when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible man and crushes him. And there was no doubt that as a young man, I was impossible in the sense that everything had to be my way. But God knew that if I was going to continue down this path, I would head down some very wrong roads. He knew that if he was going to do something impossible through me, that he was going to have to crush me and to break me and to teach me that not everything in life is going to be according to my will. He had to teach me that I had to recognize that the very reason that I live and that I breathe and the very reason that I walk and I talk and everything that I've accomplished in life was because of Him. It's all because of Him. It's just like when the great Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was at the height of his reign in Daniel chapter four, stood on his palace rooftop, look, overlooking his kingdom and declaring his, his greatness. In verse 30, it says, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? But then it says in the next verse that even while the words were still on his lips, a voice came from heaven that said, this is what is declared for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that God Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes. And immediately, what had been spoken was fulfilled in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Nebuchadnezzar believed that he determined his fate, that he was the master of his destiny, and that everything he had done was his doing. But he forgot a warning that came to him 12 months earlier. 12 months ago, he had a dream, a prophecy, that Daniel interprets for him. And in it, he sees a large tree that touched the sky. It was visible throughout the whole earth. It, it provided shelter for animals and food for all. But one day, that tree will be cut down with only a stump to remain. And so Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that you are that tree. Which then comes the warning in verse 17. And it's a warning to both Nebuchadnezzar and all who live that the most God most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and it is he who gives it to anyone he wishes. So don't you forget that, Nebuchadnezzar. It's not by Nebuchadnezzar's power or will that he reigned. 
He didn't put himself on that throne. He didn't cause his men to have strength for warfare or to have the brains to rule a kingdom. No, it was the Lord who permitted him to rule and to reign. I don't know what your story is or where you are in life, but one thing is certain. It's not by your power or your will or your might that you are where you are today. You didn't cause your family to have life. You didn't cause yourself to have the smart brain that you have or the strength in your bodies or the dexterity that you enjoy. No, it all comes from Him. We, we don't even cause our own heart to beat. But in Acts chapter 17, it tells us that for in Him, for in God, we live and move and exist. It is God who gives us everything that we have. So in the time that we have, would you just allow me to share three things that I learned? Three things that, that I learned when God broke me and changed me that, that mirrors Nebuchadnezzar's experience. The first point comes from Daniel chapter four, verse 34. And if you don't know the rest of the story, Nebuchadnezzar, he eventually lifts his eyes towards God and has his sanity restored to him. And so it says in verse 34, then, then I praised the God most high and honored and glorified him who lives forever. Verse 35, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Verse 36, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So our first point is this. God is able to humble the proud. So always remember who's in charge. Nebuchadnezzar knew what he was talking about when he said that God is able to humble the proud. You see, as king of Babylon, he was successful in so many areas of his life. He was successful in battle, winning battles against Egypt and Arabia and, and Judah. He was renowned for his building activities. He constructed palaces and cities and temples. Scholars even speculate that when he, when he was on the rooftop of his palace declaring and boasting of his greatness, he was overlooking the iconic hang, hanging gardens of Babylon. So if anyone has something to be proud about, it was Nebuchadnezzar. Yet he did not realize who God was until he was in the depths of his lowest despair. And it is there that he confesses the sovereignty of God. 
Could this be where you are today? Where you find yourself in the depths of great discouragement or severe conflict or uncertainty? Or maybe you feel like you've been stripped of your security or, or your future. Maybe your reputation is on the line, your health, your family, your marriage. Perhaps there's a void or an emptiness within you that you just can't seem to fill. Wherever you are, notice that Nebuchadnezzar's confession of God's sovereignty comes before he's restored to his throne. When I failed my driving test for the fifth time, I released my grip to him, to God. I said, God, you are God. You have control over my life. And I know that God saw my heart. I know that he saw that I had finally recognized that I was not sovereign. I was not God, but that he was. And thankfully, during my next test, I passed and got my driver's license. Praise God. <laughs> Sometimes, Confession of God's sovereignty precedes change. So whatever you're going through, maybe it's time for you to release your grip over to him. Because remember, God is able to humble the proud. So always remember who is in charge. And secondly, God does as he pleases. So hold those plans with an open palm. We read earlier in verse 35 when Nebuchadnezzar said, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, because God holds all the powers of heaven and all the peoples of the earth, he is all-powerful. It is His will that is done. It is His purposes that are accomplished. But that doesn't mean that we don't make any plans. Nowhere in all the Bible do I read that, no, because God is sovereign, don't, don't plan your life out. I don't read anywhere that says, no, God, because God is sovereign, don't bother. Now, in fact, in James chapter 4, it tells us that, that we ought to say that if it is the Lord's will, then we will live and do this or that. James is saying, make those plans. The plan for that holiday, plan for that house or that career. Make those dinner plans and organize those events. He's not saying don't do it. But what he is saying is that we mustn't forget what comes first. But we ought to say, if it is the Lord's will. Why? Because as God, he sees what we don't see. He knows what we don't know. 
And as Isaiah 55 reminds us, his ways are higher than our ways. So hold those plans with an open palm. Hold your loved ones with open hands towards God. If he takes them, he takes them. He knows what he's doing. Like, are you sure that, that your business or your job is going to be around next year? Like, don't you realize that your health and your well-being is not really in your control? What's going to stop another pandemic or crisis? The truth is, is that we have no control, but God does. Pastor Chuck Swindoll once wrote that several years ago when I was speaking at Moody Bible Institute, a lady wrote me a note saying, I didn't worry about getting married. I did leave my future to God's will. But every night, I hung a pair of man's pants on, on the bed and knelt down and prayed this prayer. Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. <laughs> Isn't that a great letter? Well, Chuck continues, he says, I read that letter in the next week when I got back to the church I pastored. The father and oldest son of a family I knew were in the church, but the mother was home with a sick daughter. When I read the woman's note, I watched the father and son, and the father just cracked up laughing, but the boy was rather serious. Interestingly, several weeks later, I got a letter from the mother who hadn't been in that service. She wrote, Dear Chuck, I'm wondering if I have something to worry about. I've noticed that our son, when he goes to bed at night, has this bikini <laughs> hanging over the foot of his bed. <laughs> we make our plans, but ultimately, we must hold these plans, bikini and all, with an open palm towards God. But in all seriousness, church, I understand that all this is so much easier to just say than it is to actually live it out. It's so hard to see why God will let our loved ones die. It's hard to see why how contracting that disease or having that accident could be part of God's will. Why would he allow me to go through all this financial strain? Surely God can provide, right? Well, these are all legitimate questions and, and doubts that I really don't have the answer for, church. But look at what happened when Nebuchadnezzar confessed. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 36, look at what happened to him. He says that when my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Which leads us to our third point, that our God is a compassionate and generous God. So trust him to do something greater. Remember God Old Nebuchadnezzar nothing. It was Nebuchadnezzar's pride 
that in, in claiming credit for all that God had allowed him to do, that saw him brought down. And yet, while even though he confessed of God's sovereignty over his life and over all things, God didn't have to restore him. He could have just left him there and let him suffer miserably for the rest of his days, but our God didn't because he's a compassionate God. He cares deeply for his people. He cares deeply for you. Scripture tells us this time and time again. Like in Exodus 34, verse 6, it says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, in his compassion, not only did God choose to restore Nebuchadnezzar's sanity, but he also chose to restore him back to his throne with his wealth and it became even greater than before. Now, quite often, we experience God's generosity when we suffer a loss in something only to experience a gain, a greater gain somewhere else. When I failed my driving test for the fifth time, it, I lost so much. I lost so much money because as a poor university student, it was expensive to go for those tests. But I also lost my, my pride and my control, took a big hit. It was incredibly painful. But truth be told, church, I gained so much more. I learned something that money could never buy. Experiencing what it's like to be completely humbled by God. To learn to, to finally recognize the sovereignty of God over my life. And this loss and gain will probably look completely different for you. Maybe in your business, uh, the, the loss of additional revenue will see you gain reputation and favor from your customers. Or maybe the loss of your, of your grip over your pride to forgive will see you gain relief and peace. Maybe it's the, the loss of a loved one, like my mom, will see us gain a fulfillment of a purpose that we cannot see. Or perhaps it's your grip. It's the loss of your grip over your unbelief in Jesus will see you gain eternal salvation and new life in Him. Whatever it is, remember that our God is a compassionate and generous God. So trust Him to do something greater. With this new year ahead, with all the challenges that awaits us, let me encourage you with this final illustration. A bar of steel like this one, worth $5, when bent into a horseshoe, is then worth $10. If you take the same bar of steel and manufacture it into needles, its value rises to $350. And yet, if it's made into delicate springs for expen expensive watches, its value is now $250,000. The same bar of steel is made more valuable when it's cut 
to its proper size, pass through one blast furnace after another, again and again, pounded and hammered, manipulated, polished and finished, so it can be ready for those delicate tasks. I don't know what you're going through, church, but our loving and compassionate God, who's Lord over all things, knows not only what you're going through, but also what He's doing. He's not some reckless God looking to tear you down senselessly. No. Our God looks to do something of greater worth through you. He looks to shape you, to mold you, and to form you. And yes, it would probably hurt a bit. It might take some letting go and trusting Him. But you can be sure that when our God wants to do an impossible task, He takes the impossible you and crushes you so that He can do something of greater worth through you. So Father, we pray right now that wherever we find ourselves in life, Lord God, we want to just turn and look to you as painful as it might be, Lord God, as lonely as it may seem at times. Father, we know that you are a compassionate and generous God who loves us deeply, who cares for us deeply. So Father, whatever we're going through, Father, I just pray that you would give us strength just fill us, Lord God, with your comfort and your love and your warmth, knowing, Lord God, that we are in loving, safe hands. And Father, we pray that wherever we are, that you would please use us to great effect for the glory of your name, so that all the world may know that you are Lord, that you reign and you rule over all kingdoms on earth, and you give it to anyone that you wish. That is our prayer here today, God. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.